So, welcome back once again to the Filmwork Podcast. I'm Stephen Hurst, and I just couldn't come anywhere close to finishing this podcast without giving a bit of time to uh, a director who I've become a, a bit of a fan of, uh, Wes Anderson. Yes, uh, I was looking back on the podcast that we've done and realised that I'd covered Paul Anderson, and I'm like, how the hell did I not cover the other Paul Anderson, or even Wes Anderson, for that matter? I cover Paul W.S. Anderson. Um, cool, I must have been having a funny old mood that day. Um, ooh, actually, mind you, PTA, I've become less of a fan of. I, mean, I still think that Boogie Nights is his uh, crowning glory. Uh, Magnolia is, is pretty good as well. But after that, I, I've lost interest and just stopped watching. So there you go, that's why I'm not doing PTA. Um, as for Wes Anderson, though... I thought, no, I've got to. Uh, I definitely have to. I mean, the filmography is fairly short. We're looking at one, two, three, four, um, five, six, seven, eight uh, features. Um, I won't be mentioning anything else outside of that. But yeah, eight feature films starting way back in 1996. So he's been going for a while now. And uh, that film was Bottle Rocket. And I only saw Bottle Rocket recently. Um, and um, it was it was odd, uh, playful. Um, but uh, odd, uh, and obviously he was uh, co-writing a lot back then with Owen Wilson. In fact, the first three features, this Rushmore and the Royal Tenenbaums, he co-wrote with Owen Wilson. Um, and it's and it's fine. Um, I mean, you can. It's it's basically like when I talked about Chris Nolan and said you can see the director at work there. Um, you could go back and you can tell by certain shots and certain things, certain stylistic choices, or. Uh, you know what this director you know would then turn into be, and you get a, a that uh, a, a lot more in uh, Bottle Rocket compared to most other directors with their initial films. You know, done on the cheap, um, which is with the attention to details with stuff that he puts in there. But you can also go, oh, I bet if he made this film now, it would look quite different. Uh, everything would be dressed up a lot more, especially with uh, the backgrounds of shots and stuff like that. But um, uh, Sometimes the trouble with um, Wes Anderson pictures that I, I guess that puts me off some of them. And don't get me wrong, I am not a fan in the sense of I love everything that he's done. Um, I just love his style. Um, but there are also things about Wes Anderson films that I can't stand. Um, and half the time you get characters that I don't uh, identify with or sympathize with. Um, and that's certainly the case here. I didn't particularly enjoy uh, many of the characters, you know, no offence to the uh, Wilson brothers, but um, just uh, not necessarily my cup of tea. Uh, Luke Wilson in particular, I think uh, I, I prefer out of the two, even though Owen is, I guess, slightly more famous than his brother. But um, the, the the stuff they did here was, you know, just uh, okay, fine, offbeat. Um, there's some weird stuff going on. I mean, the thing that I think freaked me out the most was the fact that they stayed at this motel for such a long period of time and... Uh, uh, Luke is eyeing up the uh, the the uh, the lady that you know the the woman that clean the rooms, the maid, um, and you know she's uh, doesn't speak English and all that. And you get you know themes like that returning of these white guys that want to monopolize the time of uh, young beautiful uh, women that are not white or English isn't their you know first. Uh, 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 speaking language. I mean, you get that in um, the Darjeeling with Jason Schwartzman chasing after the you know the lady on the train that works there. Um, yeah, it leaves a bit of a, a sour taste in my mouth. But um, but definitely sort of uh, 
uh, character-wise, uh, things are very much uh, deep-rooted in this film of, of the way that they would go forward. You can tell that they write similar kind of characters in, in the next couple of films that they do. But um, Bottle Rocket is is sort of, you know, it's the beginning, um, but it's probably my least favourite of uh, the entire series. But uh, I'd still give it, you know, two and a half, I guess, you know, because it is a very it is a good effort. Um, but I won't be in a hurry to watch it again, whereas all the other films I have watched more than once, whereas Bottle Rocket I probably won't watch again. Now, Rushmore is a film which was uh, 1998, a film that I only watched for the second time again very recently because these were the two that I had to catch up with. I'd seen the others... Um, sort of before quite a bit but um Rushmore was the first film that I actually saw um but it's um <laughs> for uh, reasons that I pretty much stated already there were things about it that I didn't like it and I wasn't used to the style of filmmaking and even though it's much more of a leap in the direction that he is going you know Rushmore is the next step um and uh, but uh, and it's it's very well written. It's very well played. I, I I think the thing that baffled me was that I seem to remember Bill Murray having a bigger role in this film, and he doesn't. He is very much in supporting capacity and disappears for long periods of time. Um, so something was playing with my mind when I watched it for the second time. I was like, I swear to God, Bill Murray's in this more often. Um, but again, it's it's dislikable characters, um, especially the character played by Jason Schwartzman. But he plays the role very well. Uh, this this unbelievably annoying dweeb. Um, and obviously, you know, there's redemption towards the end. But... Um, uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's an odd one, but it's but it's an interesting uh, little journey you go on, and there is a terrific performance by uh, Olivia Williams in here as the object of his affection. Um, she's terrific in it. You like her, you know. She's like the almost normal person in this film, and there's some terrific scenes that they have together, especially when they're sitting opposite each other, and she just sort of looks at him and realizes what he's doing, and then has to call out the fact that uh, you know you do realize I'm a lot older than you, and and I'm your teacher, you know, and your 15 so <laughs> uh, and stuff like that but there's some terrific comedy as well to be had from the likes of Brian Cox as the uh, the, the guy that wants to expel him from uh, the school called Rushmore and uh, Bill Murray is I mean Bill Murray's good but it's it's always odd that you got, yeah Bill Murray is always showing up in uh, Wes Anderson movies so they do great work together and it's like they do but he's only ever really been a leading man that one time, which is with the life of Quag, which we'll come to, the rest of the time he's always in uh, the supporting capacity, and sometimes a very supporting capacity. Um, but hey, more on that when we when we uh, hit on those films. But um, yeah, I mean, Rushmore is. Uh, I think it was overrated uh, when it came out, and I do still think it's overrated now. But it is good. Um, I'm going to give it three stars. I've seen it twice. I probably will watch it again, but um, I'm not in a hurry to get there um i'd have to be in the right mood uh and quite quite a, a cynical mood in order to uh you know live you know 90 minutes with this uh, character that uh, max fisher that schwartzman plays so well um <clears throat> but uh, stylistically they're certainly building on uh things here that, that you see uh, uh develop in the next one now bizarrely although i really didn't like Rushmore, and I hadn't seen Bottle Rocket, for some reason I went to the cinema to see The Royal Tenenbaums, and I have no idea why, because I knew who the director was, I knew it was going to be a bit odd, and yet I went. It must have been, you know, wow, look at that cast. Um, Gene Hackman, Angelica Houston, uh, Bill Murray again in a supporting role, uh, the three kids played by Ben Stiller, um, Owen Wilson, 
and um, Gwyneth Paltrow. You've got Danny Glover in there as the uh, the sort of new father-in-law to be, um, and uh, and uh, uh, Luke Wilson. Sorry, Owen Wilson. Uh, Luke Wilson's the uh, um, the other brother. Owen Wilson is the, is like the best friend who wishes he was part of the family, um, which is odd when you think about it, considering those two do actually look alike. That you know Ben Stiller probably should have been cast as the the kid across the road. But having said that, Ben Stiller does such a wonderful job of this uh, uh, highly stressed business like uh, eldest son of the uh, Tenenbaum family. Um, even though all three of them are dressed like you know the fucking uh, Harry Enfield Scousers. But um, there you go. Um, and uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, it's probably the best performance I've ever seen her in. It's the best performance I've seen Ben Stiller in. It's the best performance that I've seen um, both of the Wilson brothers in, but particularly Luke. Luke does a very, very affecting uh, job or uh, role here of the... Is actually, is he the oldest brother? Uh, I can't remember. But anyway, but he basically fancies his sister. But although the sister, she's adopted, so that's kind of half okay-ish. But she's been around the world, you know, ran away and had God knows how many affairs and marriages and God knows what. Um, So she's all messed up in her head and her dad uh, always refers to her as, this is my adoptive daughter. <laughs> um, And that is the character of Roald Tannenbaum, which is uh, Gene Hackman. And he is superb. This is one of the last films that Gene Hackman made. He made a couple of dodgy comedies after this. So I think this is his last truly great film. And uh, he won the Golden Globe for the uh, performance. He was nominated for the Academy Award. And he is superb. Absolutely superb. Uh, and I have to say the same about Angelica Houston. She's terrific. But we get to see her again in uh, later films uh, by the director. But um, it's... Uh, this is the one where it really graduates Wes Anderson to the full-on look that we're all used to. You know, uh, uh, the, uh, the sort of cut panel look of everything, the cross-section of a building, so you can see people in, in all the rooms and stuff, uh, and the, the books and the wallpaper and the little small attention to, attention to detail, like the little uh, mice um, uh, and board game is the way they're all stacked. And each uh, the film is uh, chopped up into chapters, and each the beginning of each chapter is narrated by uh, Alec Baldwin, um, and it's absolutely superb. It's an absolute masterpiece. It looks fantastic, and everyone is terrific in it. And everyone has uh, an arc to go on. Uh, and quite often they relate to the dad, Gene Hackman, who has conned his way back into the family by pretending to be ill. Um, ben Stiller's character is very untrusting because he has a, a sore history with the dad, you know, sort of not being on his side or being with him. Um, and ultimately he has the most sort of uh, heartwarming um <laughs> sort of arc in the end when they you know when they finished finally managed to make amends with each other but um just watching him just completely rebuke uh this uh his old man throughout the film is uh hilarious sometimes um whereas Gwyneth Paltrow is it's almost like she's a little art piece sitting in the room just watching the look on her face and the way that she reacts to stuff just so coldly just doesn't can't fit in doesn't know how to fit in and she's now with uh bill murray's character um and she's a secret smoker as well um and a, a great joke about that at the end when uh, it comes out that she's uh smoking uh she's been you know she's literally been hiding it since uh, she was a kid and then uh, bill murray sells her out at the end uh when they're in the uh, hospital and um 
the mum just looks at her, she's like, oh my, you know, how long have you been doing that for? And she's like, you know, for however long. And she just goes, I think you should quit. <laughs> um, Angelica Houston gets to add all these wonderful little touches like that uh, throughout the film. Um, Danny Glover, uh, again, uh, you know, locks horns with uh, Gene Hackman's character and gets the better of him because he's the one who calls him out on his uh, faking to be uh, d- at death's door. Um but he he's also gets to be part of some ridiculous scenes that go you know a bit over the top. I mean, when he's trying to propose to Angelica Houston's character that they're walking through uh, this sort of dig area where there's a dig going on, and uh, while she's walking and talking, he you know he sort of falls out of frame into this uh, pit of of, of muck, um, and it's just an odd little you know joke for them to put in there. But it uh, it adds a lot of charm when you're getting to know these characters. Um, Yes, but uh, like I said, I think the one that impressed me the most was uh, uh, Luke Wilson um, as the sort of failed tennis player. You know, he he used to be a hot thing, and then because of his love of his sister, he just lost the plot and, uh, you know, had to sort of bugger off himself. Um, He's the one that's being the most sympathetic to everybody, Uh, the most sympathetic towards a dad. He's showing some love for his brother. He still loves his uh, sister. You know, he's not looking to argue with anyone. And yet, two-thirds of the way through the film, he's the one that tries to commit suicide. Um, And it's such a bizarre uh, sequence, but it's um, it's beautifully done as well. When he just looks at the camera and says, "I'm going to kill myself tomorrow," and then instantly uh, cuts his wrists open. Um, so it's sort of surprising, shocking, but um, done in such a, a weirdly artistic way that you just think, "Oh my god, this is just such an engrossing film, such an engrossing drama." Um, but it never lets you forget that it's a comedy as well. Um, and even right at the very end, I mean, uh, once Raw Tenenbaum is as finally made up with everybody and everything's all great and what have you and he's made up with the family and he has passed away um you know you get them all at his graveside and then you, you see the look on the priest's face as he reads the epitaph and it says something ridiculous like you know died saving his family from a sinking battleship or something ridiculous like that um which is what he wanted engraved on there um so it's no less wacky um and it's terrific. And uh, if I was going to rate it, it would be getting a five star. Now, The Life Aquatic, which uh, Bill Murray did to step into a lead actor uh, position on this one. And you get Owen Wilson back again. Uh, Angelica Houston. Willem Dafoe uh, comes in. You will see him again. And Jeff Goldblum will see him again as well. Um, and uh, this one, you know, set on board a boat. So you've got some terrific cross-section boat shots in this one, which uh, is just fantastic. The set work and the the stuff that he has going on in the, on the background is just superb. Um, so this one I was dying to see when it came out, and I rightfully did run off and see it. Um, and wasn't the biggest fan of it. Um, I, you know, I've watched it a couple of times since, and while I like it, it is, you know, short of genius. It could have been as genius as the Royal Tenenbaums was, but instead you've got, um, I don't know, I, I think it's, because uh, it works with um, with Bill Murray, he's good in the role, and, and his arc is mainly, uh, he has met his uh, son, Owen Wilson, or someone who claims to be his son, played by Owen Wilson, and the uh, the relationship that they have. Um, he says, yawning. Now, the trouble is that everybody else that's in this while they're, I mean, people like uh, Jeff Goldblum and, and Will, Willem Dafoe in particular 
are trying their best to bring the film something and you know they are bringing something to the film but the trouble is is that they're given very very little to do and there's very very little in the way of arcs that the same uh, in the same sense that the Voltanenbaums had some terrific uh, character arcs for even all the smallest characters that you know to, to make it all work here it just feels a bit more bitty um, so while it's uh, visually engaging and you've got uh, some engaging leagues uh, you know they can't make that just whole one story of hey come with me and we'll document together stuff son um you know work you know for uh, what essentially is a two hour long movie i mean this is the longest film so far that he's made so um i cut this is kind of more like put it on in the background but not pay attention whereas the royal tenenbaums i'm engaged with every movement every gesture every look every bit of scenery uh, mise-en-scene that's going on in the film whereas the life aquatic you know the mise-en-scene definitely in certain places but the rest of it yeah you know not so much um kind of getting a bit used to his uh you know scallywag uh lying ass backstabbing main characters at this point so it's not really surprising me anymore um you know but you know the film has its moments but nothing you know nothing too out of the ordinary so it's back on a sort of a three rating maybe three and a half just because it's doing such a fantastic job visually now i should mention at this point um i haven't talked much about music um because i didn't want to say i like this actor this sorry this director and then just fucking slam on the brakes and go but i hate this uh, but i'm going to do it now um so this applies to bottle rocket rushmore definitely uh roll ten and bounds yeah for sure uh life aquatic blah blah, blah 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 most of his films have the kind of soundtracks that i just want to die um it's not music that i would play in my own uh sort of spare time um and uh, i won't pinpoint any bands in particular but i mean then i mean in the old turn bands i mean they make good use of uh you know the, the likes of paul mccartney's music but um uh, for the film so i think to say that i would pick different music for the film is unfair because i think the choices made do largely work i think rushmore in particular has one too many uh music montage moments um you know, with a lot of slow motion going on and that kind of shit. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's not my kind of thing. And and uh, American independent cinema in the '90s and going into the 2000s was really, really getting on my nerves. Whether it was Napoleon Dynamite or Juno, or anything by Jason Reitman, you know, just make me want to puke uh, when it comes to the uh, these acoustical fucking bands as well. Ugh. Um, anyway, so um, I won't go on uh, too much about that. But you you'll see it. When, when it's in there. but you'll also realize that quite often it actually suits the film um i'm, I'm sad to say but hey it does so uh yeah so three for that one so the darjeeling limited i uh caught around about the time i don't think i saw this one at the cinema though but i did see it kind of around about the time it was uh, i didn't wait too long to catch it and uh, again it was one of these ones where i was like oh this is where i started to sort of like go oh, oh dear I'm, I'm really not liking uh, this director's work anymore he's sort of like was it really just that one that I loved um, and upon watching it again it's it's fine the Darjeeling Limited but it is one of the lesser films but again it comes down to that you have not one not two but three main characters in this and I like that that it focuses on three and you don't have you know eight other uh, supporting uh, cast you know around them that just went bugger off um, and it isn't you know largely set on this train which is you know kind of cool um, but it does limit 
what he could bring to us visually. Um, although there's still some, you know, some terrific stuff to see here. But you know, part of it is sort of limited than what you'd expect. You'd expect him to be doing a lot more wacky stuff with his camera throughout. But um, the, the three characters, and you know, Adrian Brody, I think is probably the best at the three. But Schwartzman, a little sleazebag again, um, is good. Uh, Owen Wilson, you just, you just want to punch, and you know, it looks like someone already has uh, with what he's wearing. But it's the it's the way that it, it it's clever that the three of them get on but don't get on, but it's also infuriating that they're all just stabbing each other's back. You know, but two of them will talk behind the other one's back, and then another two of them will talk behind the other one's back, and and so on and so forth. Um, despite what they agree to do, they all turn against each other, and it's such a weird dysfunctional uh, thing. And watching them trying to hold it together by being sincerely insincere um, is uh, quite uh, maddening and annoying. But, you know, you get a bit of uh, Angelica Houston action later on in the movie when they uh, track her down because she's the mother. Um, and the, I guess the beginning's quite funny because you see Bill Murray and his little cameo running to get the train and he he misses it. But the guy that just made it on is one of the brothers. So, you know, the, the film sort of changes track of following one person then onto someone else, um, which I found was interesting. And in fact, they made a film about that. You know, that would have been great if you had a film con- uh, constantly changing... Um, course with who it's following um that'd be an interesting idea anyway um there was a, a little short piece made with jason schwartzman and natalie portman because she's the the ex-girlfriend of uh, schwartzman's character jack uh made before this which was uh something hotel Sh- hotel chevalier or something i think it was called um don't remember saw it once can't remember what the hell it was about so there you go um but hey, the film made a little bit of money, so good for them. But again, you know, I saw three, you know, it's harmless, you know, you can watch it, it's good. Uh, three, so yeah, there you go. Um, now, the fantastic Mr. Fox, I, I think I had the chance but missed it at the uh, London Film Festival because it was screening that year along with two other bloody George Clooney movies. George Clooney just can't stay away from the London Film Festival. And that's this year was the year I realised that when he had this up in the air and something else maybe that film about men who stare at goats or something um yeah so yeah he likes to you know hit the old red carpet so fantastic mr fox and you think this is you know perfect you know a bit of roald dow so black hum- humorous story um but it's animation as well so uh, this could really work to wes anson style and apparently he's going to come back and do another um stop motion film and i'm all for it i just hope it doesn't look as shitty as this one because i think that the animation in this film is shoddy um at best uh, i don't think it, it it lent itself um uh, the cast i mean yes you you got defoe you got murray you got schwartzman you got wilson they're all back but the leads are you know george clooney and meryl streep and i just don't think that they're suited to it um yeah clooney yeah okay fine um but it uh you kind of watch this and wish you were watching chicken run instead because it was infinitely more clever and funny whereas this is wasting its time you know with these earthy um horrible sort of underground looks um i just i, I was looking for something ultimately i get uh, i don't want to say bigger budget but something a bit more uh, uh, a bit more aspiration to it in the, in the visual sense you know wes anderson has put together these wonderful sumptuous looking films and this one just wasn't quite doing it it was almost like he he had to do it on the cheap and had his budget taken away from him while doing it despite the fact that i mean it says here 40 million budget really oh dear um 
Yeah, I'm not a big uh, fan of this one. I've only seen it like one and a half times, I think, and both times I was barely paying attention. Um, but, you know, hey, one hell of an impressive cast. Again, um, big roles, small roles, you know, look it up yourselves um, and you still won't care because the film just isn't that great. But, um, you know, it's a shame. But I think it's uh, a medium that I, I would like to see him working again and do something slightly different because I think he could really work wonders on the puppet world uh compared to considering what he does with the the human world you know he he creates these sets that you know are, are almost things that you do in animation instead so uh, i'd like to see what he'd actually do in animation um even though he didn't really do it here so fantastic mr fox is only going to get a two and a half yeah maximum yeah there we go now moonrise kingdom is the one that I've had the most trouble with because uh, one of these ones again where I saw it for the first time and thought right fine don't like it oh, I'll come back some other time um, and I did and uh, it, it grew on me a tiny little bit so then I came back uh, another time and it grew on me a little bit more um, I think the trouble with Moonrise Kingdom is that it uh, is the cast really um, I mean you've got you know Bruce Willis Edward Norton uh, Bill Murray again and some of the usuals Tilda Swinton who we'll see again uh, Schwartzman Balaban blah 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 and they are all perfectly fine Edward Norton is starting to annoy me a little bit I think he stands out for the wrong reasons in the Grand Budapest Hotel as well um, but they're all pretty good you know but the film isn't about necessarily uh, you know any particular one of them it's about these two kids and the two kids just aren't engaging it's almost like two kids that have been put into a little wendy house and left to wander back and forth inside of it because you know uh, as we know uh, anderson likes to put these uh, sets together inside his frame and let things move about inside them uh, uh, you know, it's almost like watching a cross-section game up and down ladders and stuff like that. Um, they don't engage in enough dialogue for me to really give too much of a shit about them. Uh, or the fact that they've ran away, or there's incoming storms and stuff like that. That was all incidental to me. What I was uh, drawn to in Moonrise Kingdom was... Um, Apart from the weird score, um, the uh, again the look of it, and the, and the, the adult characters and what they were doing... Um, <laughs> So it's an odd one. So I think this one is still developing for me in in the sense that I uh, how I feel about it. I think I need to watch it a couple of more times and get it out of my system. Yes, that's Bruce Willis. Yes, that's Bill Murray. Yes, that's Tilda Swinton. Get it all out of my system. Yeah, there's Harvey Keitel as well. Woo. Um, get it all out of my system and then watch it and go, right, now just focus on the kids and see if the story holds together purely from their perspective and is it worth a damn. Um <clears throat> You know, is it worth it in that sense? Because it is still, uh, you know, a, a wonderful looking film again. It's, you know, one of the better looking ones that he's done once again. I think Tenenbaum still beats it. But um, there we go. But um, it is a very popular film with uh, quite a lot of the masses. I mean, most people I know that have seen Rise Kingdom do love it. So there you go. But I think it's one <laughs> on the likes of me that it will grow on. So I didn't spend much time on that one. So <laughs> um, I'll say three and a half again for that one. Um, so now we come to his most latest one, The Grand Budapest Hotel, which um, I've already, we already know that I like this. It was rated in my top 10 of that year. Uh, it's actually moved up that list uh, of that top 10 list. 
uh, in 2014. So many good films that year. And if it wasn't for Mad Max Fury Road, this would be at the top of it. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, I went and saw this at the cinema. Uh, I believe I reviewed it. Um, but I went and saw it at the cinema and uh, <clears throat> took my uh, other half with me. And she doesn't normally like anything. But, um, yeah, she, uh, this is probably the film next to Jaws that the two of us have watched the most uh, either apart or together. Um, yeah, we both watch this one outside of each other's company as well as inside each other's company. So it's it's odd we're getting this sort of a list of uh, films together of what we watch the most. But Jaws is definitely one of them, which is weird. Um, and this one, uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel, it is superb. And I think it, because uh, at the time I, I wasn't sure, but I think it does exceed um, the work done on Raw Tannenbaum for me. So it's a five-star film, so, you know... Get that out of the way. <clears throat> but I love the structure of it in the sense that you open up with a bookend <clears throat> and then it goes inside to another bookend, which then goes inside to another bookend, which then goes into the story. <laughs> so, you know, you got someone checking out a book um, about a story and then you get a, a prologue of the author talking about when he was young, he went to find some, he went and interviewed someone. So you then get, uh, and that's, um, uh, you, you then get that which uh, is um, uh, Jude Law interviewing uh, F. Murray Abraham, and F. Murray Abraham is basically then narrating to him the story inside. So you've got four different layers going on there, and each of these layers has a different aspect ratio. So you've got the two, three, five going on for the really wide stuff, and then it comes in to a much chubbier uh, screen with the uh, the narrators being told to the point where you get to the main story with uh, Ray Fiennes and uh, Tony Revolori, um and then everybody else in it, which is basically a square, um, and that's just fantastic. It's got you've then got a visual code. Not that it goes back and forth too much. I mean, you you tend to only go back to um, the uh, the Jude Law Harvey Keitel stuff because it is being uh, it, you know the book is told that way so it's basically the narrative of the book the book a book has a prologue which is told to you by one person when they're older and then the story is the young person interviewing the person who's then telling the, the main story it's yes complicated I'm sure uh, but glad it's but it's interesting to see it done in the visual sense and then each of these uh, narratives being given a different aspect ratio to work within. Um, and it's amazing. People would go and watch this at the, on the big screen and be satisfied that the most part of the story takes place inside a square box. Um, you know, not for a, a long time, you know, have you seen a film at the cinema like that? Um, that's new. Um, and it's terrific. And it's all condensed into 100 minutes. Um, superb, superb work. Um so utilizing lots of uh, really cool models of, of an amazing soundtrack. This one gets points uh, for music by uh, Alexandre Desplat. Uh, so it's more uh, uh, music score as opposed to songs that are being used. But uh, terrific performances from the, from all the people that were on the the outside narratives. But then within there, you've got uh, the like. I mean, you've got the usual like cameos of the Murrays and the Nortons and the uh, <coughs> the Wilson showing up, uh, Tilda Swinton. But um, uh, the, the young guy Tony Revolori is uh, superb as Zero. Um, and in the lead, we have a terrific performance by Ray Fiennes, and I hope he comes back to work with this director again because he's done superb work and totally deserved that nomination that he got for it. Should have won, but hey, he didn't. Um, but he is uh, su uh, just superb as a Gustav H. Um, and uh, <laughs> uh, 
uh, again, a wacky narrative that goes all over the place. It isn't afraid to be ridiculous when it comes to making jokes. I mean, I've all seen the trailer where the police come to arrest him and he goes, oh, she's dead and, and you think it's me? And then he immediately just runs away into the, into, into the background of the screen. <laughs> um uh, and there's, uh, there's a great uh, humour like that going on through. I mean, you look at the uh, the villains of the piece; they're so cartoony. I mean, Willem Dafoe, uh, this non-speaking, silent character called Joplin, who is like the henchman to our sort of main bad guy, uh, played by Adrian Brody. Adrian Brody with his like ridiculous mustache that he's grown. Um, it's superb, um, but uh, like Defoe, especially in the scene when he uh, is stalking Jeff Goldblum's character, it's so just wickedly hilarious. The stuff that goes, on. even when he murders his cat earlier on in the film, you know, Goldblum just watches the guy throw his cat out of a window, and he's like, "Did you just throw my cat out the window?" <laughs> um, superb, and Goldblum, I mean, he's only in it for like three scenes, but again, you just watch him go to work, and you know how he likes to use his hands. Uh, on screen, you know, to sort of just draw you into what he's doing, whether even if he's just talking or reading out of a book or something. Um, superb stuff going on there. But um, Adrian Brody, for me, I think has the biggest laugh because cause he's so up himself, this character of Dimitri, this son who wants to own all of the, the inheritance, who's murdered his uh, his mother to get it, um, is when he is stalking Saoirse Ronan's character, again, another great performance, through the hotel at the end, and he, like, follows her into... It's the typical, you know, we're going to end up on the same elevator, I'm going to stare at you, you're going to shit yourself, and then we're both going to get off the same floor, and I'm going to stalk after you, that sort of thing. And the music, dun-dun-dun, is uh, sort of uh, plodding along as he's slowly, confidently walking with his hands behind his back, sort of peering past his own nose to see her as she's sort of shuffling down the corridor um, ahead of him. And But the moment she goes around the corner, um, he's, you know, she's, she's disappeared and then he walks to the corner and then suddenly realises that she's legged it. <laughs> she, she's changed her pace and gone from, you know, walking briskly to full-on legging it. And it's the sort of drop-jaw expression on his face when it's, it's almost like, a, what the hell is she cheating for? Um, look that he's got on his face when that happens um is superb so um the cool model work in this film as well it, you know the little scene when they're chasing after willem dafoe in the snow and they're all the skiing down the hill and stuff like that it's just fantastic um it really is anderson working at his best and if he continues to do, you know, I mean, this is why he's being referred to as an auteur director now, I think. If he continues to work like this, um, with films like that, I mean, this screenplay he did by himself. If he continues on this path, then it's, uh, you know, we're in for some really terrific stuff in the future. Because, I mean, he's only in his late 40s now, so hopefully he has a lot to give us yet. Um, and it was just wonderful. Uh, lovely watching all this stuff come together so uh, this one is the, the sort of uh, perfect uh, uh, film I think uh, it, it's definitely right up there, it'd be like getting gold starred from the, the t I mean Ben and Sean uh, both talked about this film, Ben definitely said you know, he agreed that this one was the one that should have won the uh, the Oscar when we did our uh, 300th episode which cajoled me into thinking oh damn I need to do a Wes, Wes Anderson show um, so there you go. So what has he got coming up next? Uh, he is down to do something called Isle of Dogs, um, which is filming, which is due out next year. So from the look of it, oh, would you know it? Bill Murray, 
Jeff Goldblum, Tilda Swinton, and Harvey Keitel. Yes, Bob Balaban, Francis McDormand, Ned, Edward Norton, the usual nice. But he's also working with Brian Cranston, uh, Scarlett Johansson, uh, Yoko Ono, fucking hell. Oh, Courtney B. Vance, he's fantastic. And uh, who I just mentioned not that long ago on the uh, Last Supper. Uh, see, you mention people, and then suddenly they come into the limelight. Uh, Leah Schreiber as well is going to be in there, so we'll look forward to seeing what that's about when it comes along. But apparently, this is the stop motion animated film, so uh, we shall see next year. So that's our little look at my little look at uh, Wes Anderson to fill in another week. Um, but we really are coming down to it now, folks. So we'll be back. I'll be back with someone else. Don't you worry. There'll be other people here, and um, we will talk about something else next week. See you then. Bye.